Hey, it's Lindsay. Welcome back to the Face to Face. Today, Ivy and I sit down with our photojournalism professor from the fall, Amy Zielinski. Amy, or Prof Z, as we referred to her in class, has spent much of her life living in major cities and traveling around the world for her job. She works as a photographer and photo editor at a prominent visual media company, but she does much more than this. Amy's photojournalism course last semester was the first time she has taught a college class since establishing herself in her field. In this episode, Amy shares her advice for those of us who are entering a rather big transition in life, like graduating college, moving cities, or starting a new job. Ultimately, she says happiness is the end goal, and she believes the path to get there shouldn't be bound to the conventional. First, we asked Amy about her professional history, beginning with her transition to New York City after college. We had heard bits and pieces about her experience traveling the world and living in cities all over, so we wanted to get a better sense of what this looked like for her and how she navigated the challenges of her early career. Could you tell us a little bit about where all you've lived? Um, during your working life or career life? I went to school in Indiana, which is where I was born and raised. And then I did master's degree in Ohio. So that was the first uh, move. And then I was briefly in Kentucky. Um, And then when I uh, finished my degree at Ohio University, I then uh, picked up and moved to New York State and uh, was just a hop, skip, and a jump from New York City and lived in Westchester, New York, which is right above the Bronx. And I had a job there for a year. And then I moved to New Jersey. So I have that state on my record as well for about 18 months as I commuted back and forth into Manhattan for my job at the time. And then after a good mm, decade, 11 years, something like that, I uh, then moved to London and lived in London for almost nine years. And then I moved to Los Angeles about two years ago. Could you talk a little bit about like what it's like to move, like not necessarily frequently, but to like pick up and start in like a totally different city? Like, I feel like that's a really big transition that you've done multiple times. Well, um, ignorance is bliss. I tell you, the younger you are, the, the more you're unaware of all the difficulties you have. And I guess it somewhat gets easier as you do it more often because you know what challenges you might have to overcome. But I feel like everyone place that I did a big move to had always had a bunch of like growing pains with it. So for instance, when I moved out to New York City, Um, I didn't have like the infrastructure of uh, parents helping me. I was kind of like out on my own. So I had two friends that came out with me with a big U-Haul, not a big one, but a good enough size one, pulling my little red car behind me. And um, I just the gratitude I have for those two friends, like setting me up into my house, moving me into this little place and then saying bye-bye and then realizing you know what, I don't know anybody in this city, in this state or anybody. So this is going to be really interesting. So the first thing I did back then, and this is like 1999, 
was the uh, mobile phones were just starting to like get more into the common person hand. So I was like, I'm out here on my own. I'm going to get me a mobile phone. So at least I could call somebody and be like, help. So I think it was like the second or third day I got my Sprint phone with a little antenna that you pull out. And I remember calling a friend and I was like in Manhattan. I was like, hi, I'm on my phone. And they were like, you're so pretentious. And I'm like, you know, those type of things just run through my head of like the first thing to get. It's always about like when you're a woman's safety, like how can I feel more safe? How can I protect myself? And I feel like ever since I've had the mobile phone, I've used that to fake it. Like when I was alone on a street late at night, I'm just going to pretend like I'm on the phone right now. So they think that there's somebody around going to help me, you know, that type of thing. I think a lot of what you touched on is really interesting to us, but also like a lot of people that will probably be listening to this podcast because we're kind of at an age where we're coming out of this transition of like, we have this established like community and established like future kind of, um, and we're coming out of that. And I'll I'll be honest, I'm terrified. (laughs) Um, And you kind of touched on that too. Like, I'm curious, how did you get your bearings, like every time you picked up and started over, like what was that process like inwardly? I had a person and I have a person and I will recommend this. And I'm going to speak to you guys as women in that sense, because that's what I know how to talk about as, but um, boyfriends, partners, love relationships, they come and go, whatnot, even husbands, whatnot. But if you have a person and it's about your age or maybe a couple of years before that, you may have already found that one girlfriend that you can call on a minute's notice and they will know exactly where you're coming from and they will do whatever they can to just calm me down, let you figure it out. She may not have the solution, but she's going to be that voice on the other end of the line. And I thank God for that person every day of my life. You know, I don't know if you watch Grey's Anatomy, but that's where I eventually coined it because I was like, yeah, that relationship between Meredith and Christina, that was the crux of that show for the first 10 years. And I know that Shonda Rhimes talks about it a lot of like finding your person, but it is so true for women because that that bond that you have. I mean, my person, I remember when I the first year I lived in New York City, it was terrifying. Um hilarious but like there were so many so many awful experiences that went on that year and it was depressing and exciting and fun and my person was doing the same thing in memphis tennessee for whatever reason she was there and her apartment was being broken into all right there was a guy at the door um who had passed out in front of her door and he was trying to get in he was shaking the door she calls me instead of the cops she's like zoe i'm so scared zoe and i was like call the cops she's like but i'm so scared we'll call the cops (laughs) oh our telephone bills were terrible back then before now you can call anywhere in the world and not have to worry about a price back then it was like oh You know, we weren't spending it on beer. We were spending it on telephone (laughs) calls. Can you talk to us a little bit about um, why you chose photography and what keeps you pursuing that? Yeah, um, you know, it's like one of those things. did, Did you choose photography or did photography choose you? I don't know. I was simply an art student and took a, an elective class uh, to take photography. And uh, I, l- I literally fell in love with the medium. And I think um, 
I liked cameras and all, and I, I figured them out quite easily, but it was going into the dark room when you got your film out and developed the film. The film was fine because you could, voila, you didn't screw it up for one, which I rarely did, oddly enough, even though I'm not the most meticulous with chemistry and those type of things. I seem to always like do okay with that. And um, you'd go into this little room and you'd have, it's like, imagine closing your eyes right now and having a little wheel and having to take this and, and wrap it around, wrap it around very delicately so it doesn't touch each other. And so chemicals will go through it. So you have that process of doing it and then pouring this chemistry and you're having to stand there and just go back and forth and listening to time, time tick by, putting in more chemistry, dumping it out and just going back and forth. So it was very like... Um, it's very, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, meditative in a sense, right? So you have that to start off with. And then when you actually have the film and you see you have images, then it's printing that. And that's where the magic really happens because you see it in front of your face. So you have these trays full of chemistry and you have these, this white piece of paper, tabula rasa, that you pull out of this packet and you expose like a brief amount of light through your negative that you captured onto this piece of paper and you throw it into chemistry and you take the tray and you just ever so slightly move the chemistry in it. And it's almost like looking at the ocean, how the waves come in back and forth. So as the waves came in on the chemistry, your image would slowly but surely show up on that page. And it was your creation, what you saw out in the world that was magically already appearing on a page. It's a completely different feeling than today when you immediately take a picture on your phone that's neat and cool but this has like a process to it a very slow process to it that i found so magical and i think people of the era of film why they got onto it had a lot to do with the darkroom experience mm. i love that and i actually wanted to ask you specifically about that because in class one day last semester you describe the dark room as kind of like a spiritual experience for you. And I was wondering if you could explain that more, like how do you relate that to your spirituality? I eventually found spirituality through art and through music. And when I have both of them combined, I feel whole as a human being. I feel like I can do anything in this world when both of them are coming together. So when I was in the dark room, there was always music playing. You know, when I was photographing, I love photographing people creating music. It just, it just is a beautiful experience to me. So I feel, you know, if I don't like to talk much about God for a lot of different reasons, but um, I have to believe if he's real, he quite likes the things that artists make. In the second portion of the interview, we got a little personal. We asked Amy what her advice would be to her younger self, how she manages a balance between her career and her personal life, and what her life philosophy is. What we really wanted to know is what makes her come alive and what keeps her going. Do you believe that we have like one job or career or passion that we're meant to find? And for you, maybe that was photography or do you think there's many different things we can fall into and find satisfaction in that? And the reason I ask is because I think at this point in my life, and I think a lot of people that are graduating college soon, they, they're searching for like this one thing that they want to pursue. But oftentimes people have so many different interests and it's hard to find that 
one thing that you feel like satisfied doing. But so if you have any insight there. I don't think you're going to know it until you're actually doing it, to be frank. You can study all you want about something, but until you're actually in the profession performing it, you'll know whether or not this is right for you. And it, 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 it doesn't even have to do with whether or not you succeed in it and, and get all the accolades within your profession. It's more about like, are you happy in it? Do you wake up in the morning, can't wait to do it? Can't wait to go to your job and do it, perform what it is that you feel is the title that people are laying on to you. Um, I think that's more important and more the reality of the situation. You know, like when I file my taxes, I have to write down on it what I am as my career. And I put down a photo editor because that's principally how I make my income. But last year, I was a photo editor. I was a professor. I was a photographer. I had a lot of different hats to which I was making money. But then there's all the other things that are about you that you don't make money from, but you're also really good at as well. So... You have, you have the one side of what society tells you, you have to articulate out for forms and paperwork and, and just signing on the dotted line. And then there's the whole perception of who you feel you are as a person that probably matters more at the end of the day. So you're more than just your job. What, like, how would you describe your life outside of your job? Like, what do you do? What brings you this happiness that we're speaking about that? is the end goal beyond like just a career? They overlap within my career, definitely. Um, but I love culture. So any type of culture that I can invest in, um, and I say that in conjunction with travel, travel is incredibly important to me. And it's something I got like the second half of my life thus far is where I really found it. And when I travel, I investigate culture. I have to go to a museum. I have to go to a cemetery <laughs> and because I find cemeteries or museums in and of themselves. They just happen to have dead bodies in them. But like the art, I mean, the, <laughs> the art and architecture are phenomenal in cemeteries. And you, when you go to them, you can get this really fantastic vibe of the history of the city. And looking at the names, you know what kind of people, what ethnicities were from that city by looking at the various names. And, and you also get a sense of like, who was wealthy, who was poor. I mean, it's just a really easy way to just to wander and they're always gorgeous one way or another. And if they're not, they're fascinating because if they're not gorgeous, they're like, why is it? And then you start to question you know, that. So I go to art museums a lot. I'm always looking at art, which is what has broken my heart during the pandemic because I can't do that at all. And then the third thing is music. I love going to concerts. And when I lived in London, I don't think there was a week that went by that I wasn't at some sort of live music. And uh, when I lived in New York City, it was popular music for sure. It was a lot of singer, songwriter, kind of the stuff that you're playing, Lindsay. Um, I used to like, <laughs> like to go down to the village and hear a lot of the guitar players. And, you know, I would, I would get a beer and make it last for three hours because I was poor just so I could, you know, sit in the bar and, and listen to uh, Nora Jones's friends, you know, <laughs> play. Um, and then uh, towards the end of my tenure in New York City, I found classical music and that combined what I was doing in my photography. So all of my pursuits with that were invest invested in, in music one way or another. So I was just constantly in concert halls throughout Europe, 
and and sometimes walking on the stages that these musicians would walk on that I otherwise would never be because I'm not a musician, but I got to walk on the stages that some of the most brilliant people in the world, living and dead, have performed and, and created art on. What would you say to yourself when you're graduating college, if you could tell her something? Don't give up. Don't give up. Just keep on going. Get that passport. <laughs> I didn't have a passport back then. <laughs> it's quite needed. Yeah. I know when, when I went, when, I know this isn't quite the same question, but when I was graduating undergrad, I went directly into graduate school and I had a big decision to make of the schools that I went into. It was, will I go to the school that was going to give me complete funding or give me, go to the school that wasn't going to, that was closer by to maintain the relationship I was in. And I chose to go to the school that was closer to maintain the relationship I was in. And I think that was a benchmark in my life. I don't want to say it was regret because my life would have not turned out the way that it has. And I'm quite happy by all the experiences that I've had because of those roads that I've taken. But I always wondered to myself, like, if I just made choices based that were best for me, as opposed to the relationship, where would I be in life right now? And I think after that experience and the way that it turned out, I, I don't think I've made decisions based off of men ever since. How do you reconcile um, those like points in your life? Like not regrets, because I, um, I agree that like everything that happens to you can, has obviously led you to where you are today, but how do you reconcile those moments where you're like, what if I had chosen the other thing or... It takes a long time. I would say like your 20s is about like making a lot of mistakes and mooning over the fact of, oh, I shouldn't have done that. What if I didn't do that? Oh, gosh, darn it. I wish, you know, just that whole, it's just like a whole level of like, oh, pick me up, pick me down, pick me up, pick me down. It's just, it's a constant like battle during that time, at least for me and like a lot of my friends. And then 30s, it starts to get better. Like, it starts to get a groove on. It does. And it's like you're 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 making a little more money. You're you're being taken seriously. Um, you might have finally gotten the right job. Um, and it, it just things start to fall into place. And then by 40s, you just you just start to not sweat those things anymore. You know, you, you start to be able to take the wisdom that you learned from those t two decades and feel like I can be better. I can do more. It's like I'm at a point where. Uh, I have a beat of my own drummer anyway, but I feel this need to like be that hand to help somebody else up because it was such a struggle for me to get to certain places on my own that I really want to, to help and help others to figure out how to help people below that are struggling right now that don't have that hand. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to the Face to Face podcast. If you have a unique passion or story you would like to share with the podcast, email us at lindsay.sullivan at pepperdine.edu or ivy.more at pepperdine.edu.